Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease. My comforter, my all and all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live.
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Good morning. 
Good morning, Providence Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Joe Cerisi. I'm one of the uh, pastoral staff here. And on behalf of all of our staff and the elders, we'd like to welcome you to our service this morning. And uh, just a few announcements before we begin our worship time. Um, we will be having uh, workshops uh, again in the month of November. Uh, in the month of November, we'll be continuing the Old Testament survey part three with... Uh, some of you have been a part of that uh, so far, but if you haven't been a part of it, you can always jump in on this, uh, this section. They're kind of divided up that uh, if you missed one, you can uh, always join the other one. So uh, Dr. John Turnbaugh will be the Old Testament survey, and uh, Randy Nickel and Mike Ryan will be doing the life of Paul, and both of them will be at the 9 o'clock hour. These are designed to just equip us to um, learn the scriptures and so that the Holy Spirit could use it in times uh, when we need it the most. And so these are two excellent classes that we'll be offering. And so feel free to just show up on uh, the first week of November. That would be next week at 9 o'clock, and uh, we'll make room for you. Next announcement is a day of prayer. Uh, we've done a few of these, and so if you have some time available, Saturday, uh, November 6th from 8 to 12. We'd love to have you here and just uh, dedicate a time of prayer for uh, not only the ministries around here, our church, but our community, our country, and uh, just to worship God in prayer uh, on what he is doing and trust him in his sovereignty in all things. And so would you please uh, mark a calendar and participate in that? It will be a rewarding time uh, just for you to get away and spend some time with the Lord. Uh, next a reminder is uh, for some of, if you're like me, you need this reminder. Uh, nowadays, you know, people have their phones as they're, you know, and it changes and all that stuff. And so, uh, reminder to turn your clocks back next week or you'll be at a different uh, service time uh, here at church. And so, uh, daylight savings time. And so, big fan of uh, daylight savings time? Eh, okay, move on next. Uh, we are really excited about uh, this year's event, the uh, Women's Christmas Dinner, and uh, this announcement really is to get you to begin to be praying about who you'll be inviting to this event. It's always an excellent event. It's a great meal. There's a great testimony. It's all about bringing glory to God and how he changes a life, and we'll have uh, just a presentation on, uh, on a changed life and, and the gospel and, and how those two intersect. And so, uh, ladies, husbands, uh, significant uh, others if you're dating encourage uh, encourage uh, each other as who you're going to be praying for to bring this uh, bring someone to this event it's a great opportunity to hear the gospel and uh, just an FYI too tickets will go on sale next week and so uh, if you, you're ready for uh, signing up for uh, a ticket uh, you'll be getting an email and you'll be able to do that next week and then uh, just praise uh, that we've uh, Austin likes to say we're growing uh, and uh, as a church, and uh, one of the ways we're growing here is the blessing of uh, Hayden Edward. Uh, parents Kyle and Caitlin um, uh, are wonderful parents, and so if you see them, uh, encourage them and tell them you're praying for them and uh, as they raise their uh, newborn, Hayden Edward Cobb. Usually we get a lot of, oh, you know, with, uh, with this husband. So, handsome rascal. Anyways, now I get the privilege to uh, introduce to you uh, Val O'Brien. Val, you can come up. I don't know if, uh, how many of you receive our, uh, our monthly update, our missions update. Last month we highlighted Val O'Brien and her ministry. And so uh, Val is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. That's and, true. Hallelujah for Moody, right? Great, great school. And uh, grad, 
master's degree too. Excellent. So uh, Moody Bible Institute graduated in uh, 09, and uh, upon graduating, she uh, joined our staff here, and she served faithfully with the youth and discipling uh, young women and. Uh, middle school and high school uh, girls and just did a faithful, wonderful job. Then God called her to uh, Christ Community Chapel where she spent a number of years there, uh, but uh, God called her to something else in 2020 and we as a church began supporting her and so we wanted to invite her here and just tell us a little about yeah, thanks, your ministry yeah. uh, and um, what God has called you to. Thank you so much. Um, well, I just have to start by saying it is just the, the kindness and the faithfulness of Jesus uh, to be back here and to have you guys supporting me as a church is just a really, really sweet and just exciting and fun thing for me personally. So thank you so, so much for that. Um, what I'm doing now, I have been uh, working in student ministry, as Joe said, for the last 12 years, and I love student ministry. I just love students. I don't know why. I just do. I love being a part of their lives in just such a pivotal time where they are building and shaping their identity, where they're understanding who God is, they're making big decisions about their life, and just starting their life on this trajectory forward. Um, but one of the things that I've always thought about and prayed for um, in student ministry and with the staff teams that I've been a part of is that we'll not only affect the generation that's in front of us, but that we'll affect the generations through them. Um, Psalms talks about this. Psalm 78.6 talks about that the children might know them, but also the children not yet born. And I think about that with students all the time as they sit in front of me. How are we reaching their hearts and how are they transformed so much by the gospel that it actually transforms the generations after them? That it starts to transform the schools that they're in, that one day it transforms their families, their communities, and will go to the ends of the earth. Um, but the only way that students really embrace that, or any of us, is the church really embrace that, is if we understand that we are not just disciples of Jesus, but we are disciples called to make disciples. And that we just don't stand stagnant, but that we start a movement through um, of reaching one person after another after another through the process of disciple making. And so now, in my role as Sun Life, um, I get to work with young leaders. Uh, Sun Life exists to come alongside of churches and help young leaders and particularly student ministries build disciple-making ministries. Um, so we come in, we do training, coaching, and mentoring. So we train young leaders, we train staff teams and volunteer teams, ministry teams. We do coaching with ministry leaders, taking the principles from the life of Jesus and saying, okay, how does this apply to your specific context? How do you start this movement just like Jesus did? Um, and then we also do one-on-one -on -one mentoring with people. So that's one aspect of what I do as Sun Life, and it is just amazing to get to sit with young leaders and to be able to help coach them through what it looks like to, to make disciples that make disciples. Um, and then also I'm as part of a special project that Sun Life is doing called Traverse, um, which is about intergenerational disciple-making in churches. Um, to say, to go into churches and to look at where the sticking points are, even between generations, and say, okay, where are those sticking points, and how do we help build bridges towards each other to better accomplish this mission that Jesus has given to us? So that's what I get to do, um, and I'm so, so grateful to the Lord for that opportunity and thankful um, to have this church behind me uh, as I do those things. So thank you. Uh, one other question is, how can we... Uh pray for you, specifically yeah. anything related to you or, or your ministry, um, so that our church can really kind of be supportive yeah. of yeah. what you're doing. No, thank you. I was thinking about that this weekend. 
I, I was really, what was on my heart to ask you guys to pray for is just whenever, you know, whenever you see my name, whenever it comes up on stuff that comes through the church or whatever it is, um, that you will just pray uh, that I walk closely with Jesus in the middle of it. Um, there's so many different aspects of what I'm doing, but really I want it always to be an overflow of my own love and passion for Jesus. So if you could pray for that, one thing when you see, when you see my name. Um, also, one thing in taking on this role that I did not anticipate, and I should have, like I should have thought about this, I just didn't um, until I was in it, but working with ministry leaders, um, a lot of times they bring the hardest things that they're dealing with um, to the lunch table or over coffee with me. And, um, and, and I've been struck by just the, the heaviness of those different things. So if you could even just pray that the Lord in those moments of working those things through with, with leaders, with young leaders, will just give me a lot of wisdom um, and a lot of just understanding of God's word to be able to speak into those situations. And just that the Lord will continue to bring connections of churches and ministry leaders who really want to be trained, want to, to pick up this mantle of disciple making, and that we'll be able to make those connections and help them better. So, yeah, thank you so much. Amen, amen. Great. If you'd like to meet Val, she'll be uh, in the lobby after church, and if you want to yeah. introduce yourself to her and uh, learn a little bit more uh, about her ministry or ask her some questions, she would love to, to meet off the air. Great. Amen. Yeah, God bless thanks you. so much. Thank you. Well, good morning, church family. It's great to be gathered together once again to worship our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus. Today's Reformation Day, so we remember today that we stand on the truth of God's Word. And so we're going to sing one of the great hymns of the Reformation, and let's stand together and worship our great God this morning. Sing this with us this morning. Fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal is prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruelty on earth is not his equal send this together did we in our own strength confide our striving power today.
Let's see this together. The word above all earth. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abide. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who it assided. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. praise today, this morning, and every day. Let's continue to worship our great God. Let's sing this praise song together. Sing, there's a reason. There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. Sing, there's a reason. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive and worthy of all of our praises today. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Praise the King.
sing of the hope we have to tell the world today, church. For God is alive. The grave could not ignore it when all of heaven's roaring. Hell, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? morning church family he's alive he is alive and for that reason we can sing today amen let's uh continue in worship by reading this confession so the confession is what we hold to as truths right and after the affirmation there was confessions that were written for the church that we affirm and this is one from the belgic confession of faith and let's read about the sufficiency of scripture all together we believe that this holy scripture contains the will of God completely and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. For since the entire manner of service which God requires of us is described in it at great length, no one, even an apostle or an angel from heaven, as Paul says, ought to teach other than what the Holy Scriptures have already taught us. For since it is forbidden to add to the word of God or take anything away from it, it is plainly demonstrated that the teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. Therefore, we must not consider human writings, no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the divine writings. Nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of times or persons, nor councils, decrees, 
or official decisions above the truth of God, for truth is above everything else. Amen. We stand on the promise of God and on the promise of his word. He is the ancient of days, as we're going to sing about. Let's continue to worship our great God together. church family. Though the nations rage and kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not this truth remains that my God is the ancient of days. None above him today. None above him, none before him, all the time in his hands. For his throne shall
change and because of that your word never changes thank you that we can stand on it and on its truth today thankful that we get to sing together in jesus name amen you can be seated this morning good morning family will you please bow with me and uh and let's pray together Father God, you are so good, so gracious, and so holy. We thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to meet, that we have the space and, and the freedom to do so. God, as I, uh, we get to see Val here this morning, Lord, I'm just so thankful for, for her faithfulness, your faithfulness through her. I thank you for the blessing that she's been to so many of our families here and um, for those that have been able to serve alongside her, God, I just praise you and thank you for her participation in, in your body and your holy, your holy church. Thank you, Father, for this place, that providence here as this beacon in Avon would, would be one that sends people out, that ministries would expand from here. And a great example of somebody like Val. I pray that we would be warm and welcoming and inviting to people coming here for their first time, for those who have been coming here for years, I pray that we would love and serve well for one another. But I pray that our ministry would not be contained within these walls, that we would continue to push to be a blessing, to serve well outside. Lord, as we deal with <clears throat> the seeming chaos uh, of this world and this culture, I pray that um, with everything from illness and, and just... Uh, the myriad of issues affecting our, our culture, our country, and our communities. I pray for your blessing. I pray for healing for those that are sick, and um, I just pray that your will would be done through us, that you would mobilize us, that you would motivate us, and encourage us, and help us to be exactly who you've called us to be. Lord, I lift up the, the leadership here, our pastors, our staff, and, and God, I pray that, that every Sunday, including this Sunday, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that our pastors would be faithful and they would proclaim it well, <clears throat> that it would be your truth that, that is spoken um, and not, not anything through our own flesh. 
love you, Father. We praise you and thank you this day in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. So now we're going to continue on in Exodus here. If you'll open your Bibles and if you'll stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. We're in Exodus 9. We're going to start in verse 13, going through the end of the chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Thank you. You can have a seat. Uh, 
Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and I have the privilege of opening God's word with you this morning. Uh, before we dive into our text, though, uh, would you mind praying with me one more time? Not, not for any inadequacy on Brian and Mandy's part. It was an awesome prayer. But every time I step into this space, I am reminded of my own inadequacies and what we are about to do. And so I'd just like to ask God's help as we come to his word. So, Father, we come before you. We, uh, we confess, I confess, of our great need for you as we come to your word, that we are unable to understand, let alone live out what you have asked us to do without your help. And so would you be among us this morning? Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning? Would you speak through me now, Father? Would you fill me for this time of ministry? And may I speak clearly and bring glory to your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. How many of you saw Marvel's 2014 blockbuster hit, Guardians of the Galaxy? It's okay to admit it. Okay, well, if you didn't see it, the, the way the movie opens is our protagonist, Peter Quill, uh, gets captured by an alien named Korath and some of his companions. But Peter, being very confident in who he is, is not afraid. Uh, instead, he informs his captors who they're dealing with. He's Star-Lord. But that means nothing to them until they have to fight him. Then and only then do they realize what it means to go toe-to-toe with the Star-Lord. And, and I am convinced that director James Gunn was uh, reading through the book of Exodus when he wrote this scene because it is a carbon copy of Exodus chapter 5, where Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's palace, and they say to him, the Lord says to let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh responds, just like Korath does, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. But by the end of our text this morning, Pharaoh and all of Egypt will know exactly who God is. Today we have the Herculean task of looking at Exodus 7 through 11, which contains the 10 plagues, or as Moses refers to them, the 10 signs and wonders. And I'm just going to warn you up front, uh, I'm not going to cover every detail uh, in these chapters. We're not going to answer every question that might arise from this text, but that's okay. Because our goal here is not an exhaustive understanding of the plagues, but rather to hear what God might reveal about himself to us and how we, his people, ought to live in light of that truth. And our passage this morning has something loud and clear to say to that end. And so here's how we're going to unearth that. We're going to look at uh, the purpose of the plagues, the problem confronted by the plagues, and finally the person behind the plagues. Now just in case it's been a while since you've read through Exodus 7 through 11, here's how it all plays out. After Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go, God sends a number of signs to convince him otherwise. He starts by turning the Nile River to blood, followed by an invasion of frogs and then swarms of gnats, swarms of flies. Plague number five is an actual plague, a disease that spreads throughout the Egyptians' livestock, taking many, followed by painful boils on the Egyptians. Then plague number seven, God seems to dial it up a notch with uh, hail raining down from heaven that destroys most of the crops and anyone unfortunate enough to be outside at the time. 
And then locusts come in for plague number eight and clean up what remains of the crops. And then God just turns the sun off for three days. And it is so dark that no one can get out of bed because they can't see. And then for the knockout blow, the angel of the Lord comes and in one night kills the firstborn male of every family from Pharaoh all the way down uh, to the lowliest slave. Then and only then does Pharaoh relent and let the people go. And there is unique elements to each plague, and I would encourage you to take some time this week to read through Exodus 7 through 11. But there is also a resounding theme that is strung throughout these plagues. Again and again, God tells them that this sign and wonder is happening so that they might know that there is none like him in all the earth. In other words, these plagues are happening to prove to everyone that God is the goat, the greatest of all time. Uh, These chapters actually record the original rumble in the jungle, where, where God and Pharaoh enter the ring, and while the Lord is the unknown contender, it was by no means an even fight. From the first bell, uh, the Lord is raining blow after blow after blow on Pharaoh and his people until they are finally knocked out. And he's declared the winner, and he takes home the prize, the people of Israel. Uh, there is just, there's something epic about God's demonstration of power, of how he, he shows that there is none like him in all the earth. But there is also something troubling about it. Uh, it's a bit excessive, isn't it? There's a lot of ways that you could prove that truth, right? Like Dwayne The Rock Johnson could come in here and prove that he's the strongest man in the room without beating everyone up. There's a number of ways to communicate the truth. So why did God do it this way? And this is a question that Hollywood seems bent on trying to answer. Uh, If you were to watch the animated film, uh, The Prince of Egypt, they try to answer it in, in how they depict the plagues. As fire rains down from heaven and everything is crumbling around Pharaoh and the choir eerily sings about God sending his sword and his scourge and his swarm, all of his wrath on Egypt, we can come to the conclusion that there's none like God on all the earth and he likes to see things burn. Or take the the more recent outing with Christian Bale in Exodus, Gods and Kings, where God is depicted as a whiny child in need of recognition. And so he needs everyone to know that there is none like him in all the earth, and the plagues are just an attempt for people to notice him. Now, you might be thinking I'm making too much uh, of this question, but even God admits that he could have done things a lot faster Uh, In Exodus 9, verses 15 and 16, as plague number seven is incoming, the Lord says to Pharaoh, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God was very intentional about his method. And that's because he isn't just trying to communicate a truth about himself. He's trying to bring that truth to bear on a problem. A problem that is embedded in the Egyptians' culture. Uh, You could say that the Egyptians have a plethora of gods, around 1,500 or so. But despite the the complexity of the Egyptians' religious system, it, it, it really boils down to a very simple thing. They believed that there was a cosmic struggle between order and chaos. And the gods were the key 
to keeping that chaos under control and maintaining order in the world. And since there are a lot of things that can go crazy, there are a lot of gods to maintain order. And it's very easy for us to look at them and criticize them for being simple-minded and primitive, but I really don't think we're that much different. Uh, see, I, I'm, I'm convinced that, that this is more of a human practice than it is an Egyptian one, and, and I think that's because humans are a very interesting concoction, aren't we? On the one hand, we are very powerful. We're the only things in creation that are invested with God's image. We are invited to govern and cultivate the world, and that has great power to shape and control things. But it's being made in the image of God that makes us aware of our own powerlessness, that there are many things in this life that are outside of our control. And it's this union of power and powerlessness that gives birth to idolatry. Now, idolatry doesn't mean that we worship little golden guys that are protected by large boulders in the ceiling. Uh, what it means is that, that, that we believe or that we have found a way to bring an unpredictable and chaotic part of life under our control. And that's very important. Idolatry is the belief that we have found a way to bring an unpredictable and chaotic part of life under our control. Uh, take a farmer in ancient times. What is the one thing that a farmer needs to make sure that his crops grow and that his family survives? He needs the rain. The one thing that he is unable of controlling. So what does he do? Well, he, he goes to the temple of, say, Baal, the rain god of Canaan. And for the small price of a goat and a little respect, the farmer can rest assured that Baal will look favorably on him and the weather will cooperate. Baal was an idol because the people believed that, that through him, they had control over a chaotic and unpredictable part of life. And this was the, the logic that, that the Egyptians' religious system was built upon. Now, you might be thinking, well, sure, Caleb, that's how they thought back then, but we uh, of the modern age wouldn't fall prey to such thinking. <laughs> well, yes, we do. Uh, now, we might not worship the frog god, I think many worship the, the bronze bowl of Wall Street. I mean, think about it. Uh, retirement years are, are very unpredictable. No one knows what's going to happen. And so how can you have some semblance of security and control? Well, the stock market offers a way for you to make enough money so that no matter what happens, you're in control. Or perhaps we don't worship snakes anymore, but many look to the caduceus, the symbol of medicine, to give them control. If you've watched medical dramas on TV for any amount of time, you've encountered the patient who receives a grave diagnosis and it doesn't even phase them because they just assume that modern medicine will solve the problem. They believe that medical advancements have brought the unpredictability of disease under our control. Or let me give you one more. Many in this country either worship a blue donkey or a red elephant. And they firmly believe that, that our only hope is to keep the prophet for the red or the blue god in office. Then and only then will the chaos of this world be brought under control. Now, please hear me when I say this. We make things into idols. We take good things and we elevate them to godhood and we look to them to subdue the chaos in our lives. Which, by the way, means that anything can become an idol 
for you, your significant other, your children, your career, uh, your, your physical attractiveness, your net worth, your approval ratings. We can go on and on. Anything can be an idol. And when we ask this thing to do and be more than it's capable of doing and being, that's when it inevitably fails us. And that is the problem that God is confronting with the plagues. He is showing the Egyptians that their system fails them. That their gods are unable to keep the frogs in the river, or to blow away the locust, or to keep the sun shining. And that's because idols always fail us. And when our idols fail us, we will respond in one of three ways all of which are sprinkled throughout our, our text as the Egyptians respond to these plagues. One possible response is to despair. Uh, we see this best in Pharaoh's servants in Exodus chapter 10, verse 7, after the locusts come through and they destroy the remainder of the crops. They come and they say to Pharaoh, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined. When our idols fail us, when, when the things that we put our trust and security in, which for Pharaoh's servants was their, their crops, their harvest, when that thing utterly fails us, we are left with utter despair. And we, we saw that play out when the stock market crashed back in 2009, didn't we? Uh, if you remember, after the Bronze Bowl failed millions, uh, the suicide rate among Wall Street executives skyrocketed. Why? Because their God failed them. And they were left with nothing but hopelessness. And another possibility when our idols fail us is we become more resolute that they'll work. We harden our hearts and we cling even tighter to our idols or our system, convinced that next time they will provide us the control they promised. Uh, are, are you familiar with uh, the story of the emperor's new clothes? You know, where where the, the emperor is snookered into buying this fabulous outfit that isn't real, and he does so because the swindler just goes on and on about how great he looks in this outfit. And the emperor and his advisors, not wanting to look the part of the fool, go along. Uh, and so they hold a magnificent parade so that everyone in the kingdom can see how magnificent the emperor is in his new clothes. Until a little child calls out among the crowd, uh, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. And then we normally say, and the emperor learned humility, the end. But that's not actually how the story ends. Here's how the story ends. The emperor shivered, for he suspected that they were right, that he had no clothes on. But he thought, this procession has got to go on. And so he walked more proudly than ever as his nobleman held high the train that wasn't there at all. When our idols are exposed as frauds, when we are shown to have no clothes on, one of our go-to responses is simply to harden our hearts to that reality and press on, unwilling to let them go. But sometimes we do let go of our failed idols, which is what I think is happening here in Exodus chapter 9, where Pharaoh admits that he has sinned, and he asks God to stop the hail, and he'll let the people go. And Moses 
sees through all this, and he says that, I know you don't fear the Lord. You're going to renege on your word. How does he know this? Look at what follows. It seems quite out of place, doesn't it? Verses 31 and 32 tell us about when the crops are harvested. It just feels out of place uh, until we realize that, that Pharaoh is taking option number three, that he is relocated to a different idol. Barley crop failed him. He's going to put his hope and security in the wheat crop. It's as one uh, reformer so aptly put it, the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We can keep cranking them out all day long. We are, in fact, enslaved by them, in bondage to them. And that's a problem. It's the problem that's being confronted here. We keep looking to the wrong things to control the chaos of our lives. And the plagues are confronting that problem, showing us that our idols don't work and that we should look to God because there is none like him in all the earth. That will solve the chaos problem. But we tend not to do this because we have an issue with the person behind the plagues. See, by the end of the ten signs and wonders, it's quite clear to everyone who has the power that there is none like God in all the earth. And that's a really good thing for us to know. But it's not necessarily a good thing for us. Uh, let's take Superman, for example. Superman is clearly on another level compared to us humans. He's bulletproof, he's super strong, he has lasers coming out of his eyes. Total package, there's none like him. And that's a really good thing for the people of Metropolis to know. But it's not a good thing for the people of Metropolis unless they can somehow find a way to harness his power for their benefit. Unless there is some way that they can ensure that he will always act for their good. But I mean, he's Superman. They can't control that guy. And so Superman and his power actually become a problem. A problem that Batman sums up well in uh, Batman v Superman when he uh, explains to Alfred that Superman has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe that there is even a 1% chance that he's our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And I think this is our mindset when it comes to God. We can't deny that he's on a different level than us, that he has more power than we can ever imagine. But deep down, we have this sneaking suspicion, this 1% chance that he might not be powerful for us. That there's the possibility that he might not have our best in mind. Actually, if we look at our lives, I think the percentage goes way up. Uh, if we are honest... We all have a list of the times where we looked at God and said, if you are so powerful, why didn't you fill in the blank? We're not questioning his power in that moment. We're questioning his goodness. And we need to understand that the 10 plagues reveal far more to us about God than just that he's powerful. We have to remember what prompted the plagues, and it's actually not in our texts. We have to turn all the way back to Exodus chapter 2. At the end of Exodus chapter 2, we're told that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. 
The thing that started all of this was the plight of his people. All of these signs and wonders are demonstrations that there is none like the Lord in all the earth who is both all-powerful and all-good, who always acts favorably toward his people. But please don't be confused by that statement. God is all-good, and he acts for your good, but that doesn't mean that his actions will fit into your definition of good. See, what this text invites us to do is to stop trying to gain control of our lives by any means available and to trust in the one who is powerful enough to bring all chaos under his feet and to believe that he uses that power for the good of his people. But what about that 1% chance? How can we be absolutely certain that this is true? Well, thousands of years after the plagues, Another came performing signs and wonders, declaring that there is none like him in all of the earth and that he had come to save and deliver his people. And yet the way that he saved his people was not by an exertion of power, but by surrendering it. Rather than going the, the human route of trying to control the chaos around him, we're told in 1 Peter 2, 23 through 24, that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus is the great sign and wonder that God is all-powerful and all-good. Jesus' whole mission was to save and deliver us and all creation. And if this is the length God's goodness and power will go to the point that he gives his own son for us, how can we not be convinced that he uses all of his power for all of our good? So where do we go from here? How does this revelation of God's power and goodness impact our lives? Well, firstly, I think it invites us to humble ourselves and repent to acknowledge that each one of us, including myself, have set up idols this week, that we have looked to God's substitutes to try and gain control of our lives. This passage invites us to look at these signs and wonders, these displays of power, and compare them to the idols that we hold so dearly and how they have failed us, and to be grieved by our foolishness and to repent of our need for control. But that is only made possible if we see the whole person behind the plagues. We have to see God who is all-powerful and all-good. We must gaze upon him, sing about him, rejoice in him until our hearts are softened by him and his grace. Brothers and sisters, look at the signs and wonders. Look at your own life, but most importantly, look at his life, death, and resurrection and be convinced that there is none like him in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, who is like the Lord our God who is strong to save and yet also faithful in love? Father, we thank you and we praise you that there is none like you in all the earth, and yet we are driven to confess that uh, we actually treat you as one of many, that we have set up 
idols this week. We have tried to gain control ourselves through pseudo-gods and pseudo-saviors. Would you forgive us of that, Father? God, would you give us eyes to see not just your great power demonstrated in our lives and around us, but also your great goodness to us day to day, but seeing ultimately in your son that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, would you keep this ever before uh, our hearts and our minds? And would you even now, as we sing your praises, soften our hearts and declare to us your great power and goodness toward us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship our great God together this morning. Let's sing this together. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope and without light Till from heaven you came run There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt the Father. God. 
the King of Kings. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go with God.